The last thing each day is to set an alarm for first thing with Mike Parsons. 760 WJR. Tick-tock, mother What are we, seven hours away here, Renee Vitale, from yep. the uh, 12 p.m. deadline? Uh, the UAW gave the big three to make uh, significant progress. And I, I guess my question is, what would qualify as, as significant progress? It's kind of vague, isn't it? I, I think he wants to keep it that way. I think so, too. Mm-hmm. I, I think right now, um, I mean, he even came out and said it um, when he was explaining the stand-up strike. This whole thing is designed to keep the big three kind of on their toes and, and, and guessing. So um, if you missed it earlier this week, Sean Fain said that if there's not significant progress made, uh, between the UAW and the Big Three and their contract negotiations, there will be more um, more, more stand-up strikes ordered. And uh, like I said, he keeps us on our toes. So, I mean, could he possibly maybe even pull back the pressure on one automaker today? I know that earlier this week he kind of softened his he kind of softened his his uh, tone on Ford. Right. Uh, I think that might that that might be actually the most unexpected thing if he decided to uh, uh, take it easy on one automaker, maybe to make an example of, hey, if you if you bargain with us, we'll be reasonable. But if not, we're going to increase the pain. Yeah, I I mean, is he? Yeah, that's the big question. Is he just going to go after one? Is it going to be a round of all three right. different plants? Because I think that's what the assumption is. It's just going to be another round of go- all three of all three. He's going to buy a round. Yeah, he's going to buy another round of three. Right. And pain. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then the question is, you know, would, would, would pulling back pressure, if you were to do that, would that mean sending uh, some people back to work? Would it just simply mean... Uh, not ordering any more strikes against that company. I mean, there's there there there's there's a ton of questions up in the air. And at at 10 a.m., uh, it, it's it's almost becoming must see viewing when Sean Fain decides to um, put out a video. He's going to put one out at 10 a.m. two hours before the deadline to give marching orders. I wonder what the soundtrack is going to be like this time around. That was yeah. The production value has been impressive right, this do, last round. Right? Do they do they hire someone to make that uh, to 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 make those scores for the background video specifically, or do they just go to a service that already has some uh, um, royalty free beats in the background? I'm going to go with the latter. Yeah. I mean, but if this goes on long enough, who knows? We could see uh, maybe Steven Spielberg. I don't know. <laughs> G Money Cash, right? G Mac Cash, or whatever yeah. his name is. Yeah, who knows? The theatrics and all of this. The auto workers are on strike. <laughs> you know, the Lions want a game guy. Right. So we'll see. I mean, here's the thing: when you look at Sean Fain, you don't you don't see a showman. But I got to say, the showmanship of this strike of these contract negotiations have been at a different level. He's going to go down in history for sure. Yeah, and uh, and it can go either way at this point. It it seems like they're really getting the big three to kind of ratchet up at least their their wage increases. Mm -hmm. But it it all depends on on what the actual contract is, kind of how how he'll be viewed through the prism of history. It seems like right now. Um, it, it seems like right now, though, um, you know, he's uh, he, he's uh, he, he's going to go down in history as a Jimmy Hoffa esque negotiator. I think that's a safe statement. Someone else who um, understands showmanship, Rupert Murdoch, the founder of Fox News's parent company, 
Um, he's stepping down at the age of 92. His son, Lachlan Murdoch, will take over. This is one of those things. I thought he already stepped down, but I think that was that, that, that was Roger Ailes and a whole bunch of other senior management folks at Fox News. Okay, good. I'm not the only one. Yeah. I thought a few years ago this happened. Well, it, me too. And so when I saw Rupert Murdoch come across, you know, my... You know, my news notifications like, uh oh. And then it says he stepped uh-huh. out like, phew. I mean, what an interesting legacy. If you think back to the late 80s, Rupert Murdoch, he, you know, he, he, he owned a bunch of tabloids. Then he la- launches Fox. Right. With shows like Married with Children, mm-hmm. The Simpsons. And it's it's hard to remember, but The Simpsons were very controversial when they came out. I know. I wasn't allowed to watch them as a kid. Really? Yeah. Yeah. We were lucky because. I remember watching with my mom starting in 1987, and uh, she she was cool with it. Yeah, dad was, mom wasn't. Yeah. Oh, I, I see. Yeah, it was only when mom was out playing bingo that I was allowed for <laughs> dad to watch them. <laughs> All right, if mom plays bingo on Thursdays, dang it, they say they, they change it to Sunday nights. There's no bingo on Sunday nights. It's a Sabbath. I mean, Bart Simpson saying, eat my shorts, used to, that was like the downfall yes. of Western civilization. How dare he? So, so you had, you know, Married with Children and the Simpsons, which were controversial one way. And then fast forward to like 1996, he launches Fox News, very uh, controversial and, and and conservative on the other end of the spectrum. I mean, right. talk about diversity. And then South Park came along, which made The Simpsons look like, uh, you know, PBS programming. Right. Yeah. And, and so now, you know, the entire uh, Rupert Murdoch empire was now family entertainment right exactly exactly and and so i mean he's 92 so i thought okay i wonder how much that 787 million dollar lawsuit settlement with with dominion uh had to do with this but i i think the fact that he's 92 just means it was time for him to to, to step Slow down. down yeah <laughs> i 92? mean enjoy your golden years you know <laughs> right. i mean at 92 so um the Tigers actually made some news yesterday. They 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 officially hired a GM. Completely opposite end of the spectrum. This guy's a baby. Uh, Chicago Blackhawks executive Jeff Greenberg. That threw me. Yeah. Uh, hockey? What? Yeah. But he's an analytics guy. He's been hired as their new general manager. He's 37. He has spent the last 16 months as the associate general manager for the Blackhawks. Uh, he's going to report directly to Tigers president Scott Harris. He previously spent 11 seasons. Seasons with the Chicago Cubs, including three years as their assistant general manager. Now, the Tigers believe that Greenberg played a key role in helping the Cubs develop the team that won the 2016 World Series. He's also worked as an intern with the Pittsburgh Pirates, Arizona Diamondbacks, and MLB. He was born in Pittsburgh and is a graduate of Penn and Columbia Law School. Yeah, and, you know, these analytics guys, that's sort of the the, the new way of life Mm -hmm. in, in Major League Baseball. Scott Harris himself is I think he's about he's he's about he's about 37 as well. So we've got a very young front office, uh, a complete departure from Al Avila, who was an old school guy. He did things by feel, uh, you know, but it, it seems like it, it seems like just about every major league team now, um, you know, they're, they're going with analytics guys playing the percentages, um, stuff like that. So um, if it, it works. Right. And, and, and so. You know, I, it's it's interesting that that uh, that uh, Greenberg here, I must call him Scott Greenberg, Jeff Greenberg, spent like uh, a year and a half with the Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah. I, I don't know how well that worked, but obviously he's got a track record with the Chicago Cubs. So uh, 
Uh, hopefully he's successful and around for a while. Uh, 30 set, you know, late thirties, early forties seems to be kind of like the sweet spot now of, of, of hires that major league baseball is making in the, uh, management ranks because it's sort of like the cross section between, um, experience and, yep. and, and analytics. So, um, and a couple days ago, um, we had somebody on from the Humane Society on JR Morning talking about that pit bull ban in Gross Point. And Humane Society is actually taking action against the Humane Society. Yep, they have decided to move its annual mutt mar- march out of Gross Point Shores. Uh, this is a big deal because of the fact that it's been at the uh, Gross Point Shores. Uh, it's all in Eleanor or Ford House since 1989. This would have been their 35th year in Gross Point Shores. Yeah, we're running out of time this segment. So um, when we come back after the news and after this next segment, there's a really great story about how senior senior citizens are, are helping senior dogs. But we'll get to that a little bit after 534. It's first thing with Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale. All right, so we ran out of time, Renee Vitale, at the beginning, at the end of the first segment there. We were talking about um, this this gross point pit bull ban yeah. and how the Humane Society decided to um, um, pull up stakes from Mutt March, one of their biggest events, and, and take it to another city. Uh, but you came across a, a very... Uh, Heartwarming story. I love this story. So senior dogs waiting to find homes are getting help from a different community of seniors. Draw for Paws, which is a project started by animal lover Scarlett Chihuahua, says uh, that she raises money for animals in need through art. She recently kicked off its Grand Paws initiative. So the new program aims to help... Instead of Grand Paws, I finally get it. You like the play on words? The new program aims to help senior pets find homes faster since the animal can often be overlooked at shelters by having animal-loving senior citizens paint portraits of the pooches to raise awareness about senior pet adoption. Residents of the Virginian Senior Living Community in Fairfax, Virginia, were the first to participate in the Grand Paws Initiative, enthusiastically painting pictures of elderly dogs from Homeward Tales, which is an animal shelter in Fairfax. So the residents worked on highlighting each dog's winning personality and adorable appearances in their portraits and got to work on this project while helping the dogs get adopted. And I'm looking through these pictures. I'm actually going to post a link to this on our Twitter X page at WJR Radio because it really is the sweetest thing. These, I mean, these seniors have some talent. They do. There's a lot of water uh, watercolors going on there, and it's cute. And, And here's the thing about adopting a senior dog. It's such a great, great thing to do. Um, you know, it takes a, a special type of person, very emotionally brave, because you know you're only going to when you get a puppy, you know you're going to have like ten, fifteen years with that yeah. puppy. Yeah. You know, with these dogs, you know that they're not going to, they don't have much time left. You're you're, you're setting yourself up for for a heartbreak, but you're sacrificing that to give these dogs, and every dog deserves a good life. I I will be the first to admit, emotionally, I can't do it. I uh, selfishly, I cannot do that no, to me, myself. Me either, and uh, and I wish I could because. You know, these dogs, these senior dogs, you don't know their life story. They they all deserve a happy ending, of right? Of course. And the thing about having a dog, we only have them for such a short time. And the pain we feel when oh, they pass away, worst. Uh, the you know, the love and joy they bring to the rest of our life makes it worth it. Mm-hmm. And so you're speeding up that timeline. So I, 
you know, my wife's best friend and her wife adopted two senior dogs. And, and like, it's just such an emotionally brave thing to do. Because it really is. You're setting yourself up for, and like you said, people overlook senior dogs because everyone wants a puppy. But, yep. but you know, to, to, to give a dog the best possible life you can in the remaining years is such a noble thing to do. Uh, fresh off the heels of Cavalcante, Renee. Yes. A manhunt is overway. Uh, in the Indianapolis area for 28-year-old Kevin Mason. Uh, he was arrested back September 11th in connection with a 2021 shooting death in Minneapolis. So he's been on the run for a couple years. Well, just two days after they caught him, uh-huh. uh, he walked out of prison. He didn't He didn't escape like Cavalcante. He didn't crab walk up uh, a, a wall through some razor wire. There was an error. There was a clerical error, and he was released from prison by mistake. No. Oh, man. And the Cavalcante thing was embarrassing. This is so much worse. This is worse because he just kind of went, so we're good? Right. All right, I'll see you later. And he's probably like looking around like, uh, okay. (laughs) I mean, on top of that, it took them two years to find this guy to begin with. Right. So obviously, two inmate record clerks have oh, been fired. Ooh. I don't know if I, I don't know if it's going to stop there. I don't know if there's going to be any charges, especially if he gets out and kills again. I mean, that might be some manslaughter yeah. charges there. Um, and the other thing is, this just kind of started making the news in the last couple of days. He's been out of jail for um, for for almost for almost two weeks now, and we're just now hearing about it. At least with Cavalcante. It was uh, immediate. Right. We found out about it right away. And Whoopsies. then, yeah. And then uh, in St. Louis, a sex offender, uh, he just walked out of a hospital. I don't know if the, the two. What is going on? Yeah, I don't know if the two corrections officers, uh, if they both nodded off at the same time, but he, he just, he just got up from his hospital bed, walked right out. Luckily, uh, he's been captured. Do you think this is because of understaffing? In oh, it's got situations. Be. I mean, that's all that because I was like, how is this happening so often all of a sudden? Yeah, I don't know if it's understaffing. Also, I'm wondering if, you know, prisoner escapes are the new hotness right now and we're just covering it more. But it seems like it's happening more and more frequently. Yeah. I mean, really, the numbers should be zero. Right. Uh, zero a week. Right. And, and how many have we had in the last couple of weeks? It's kind of like the workplace injury thing. We've had X amount of days. Right. <laughs> now they're going to have, we've had X amount of escapes. Right. In how many days? At the Department of Corrections, they just have an intern go, all right, go change the uh, amount of days since our last prisoner escaped to right. zero. We're starting exactly. a new. So a- a- at least the sex offender in St. Louis was captured uh, Kevin Mason, the guy who was released from prison by mistake, he's still on the run. Um, so I know we talk a lot about Taylor Swift on the show, Renee. And, and to be honest, I have no interest in her love life or who she's dating. Um, but well, I, it's hard to keep up. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, I, I don't care. Uh, other than like, ooh, ooh, I heard this song's about this guy. This right. guy. But other than that, I'm not doing the whole, ooh, her and so-and-so have been stepping stepping out together. I am fascinated, uh, though, by her as an economic and cultural force. Her heirs tour generated billions of dollars. It's been credited by the Federal Reserve as being a economic stimulant to the local economies of yeah. all the cities she's played in. 
And now um, she's she's moving the needle quite a bit politically. Yeah, with a single post to her fans, she managed to snag over 35,000 new U.S. registered voters. She took to Instagram on Tuesday, National Voter Registration Day, to urge her 272 million followers to register for the upcoming midterm elections. She wrote, are you registered to vote yet? I've been lucky to see so many of you guys at my U.S. shows recently. I've heard you raise your, raise your voices, and I know how powerful they are. Make sure you're ready to use them in our elections this year. She then linked to Vote.org, which is a nonprofit organization that offers voters guides for all U.S. states and voter registration services. After her post, Nick Morrow, the communication director of Vote.org, shared that the website was averaging 13,000 users every 30 minutes emphasizing the significance of the number. As a true Swifty, he knew that was her favorite number, 13. Wow! You see that? Do you think do you think all two hundred seventy two million Swifties got together and said, "Okay, let's let's just keep it to thirteen thousand every half hour"? I, I mean, I don't know if they pulled that off. That's impressive. I mean, it's not quite crashing Ticketmaster, and thirty five thousand is a small percentage of two hundred seventy two million, but that's still thirty five thousand. Yeah, people that's still an impact for sure. Who signed up to vote? And uh, Taylor Swift may actually um, have some competition in the music world right now. Um, the uh, what, what was it? The uh, Consumers Safety Commission. Yes. They released a, a hot new mixtape of pro helmet propaganda. It's a banger, too. It's actually really good. So what they they released like they, they released the, like a, a whole mixtape of, of songs trying to get kids to wear their bike helmets. Yep. It's called We're Safety Now, Haven't We? And it's volume one. Taylor's version. Here's a little here's a little uh, taste here. When you're in the streets, take caution. Protect your neck and your noggin. When you're in the streets, take caution. Protect your neck and your noggin. Well, that's going to be in my head all day. Oh, yeah, there's your earworm. Yeah. Uh, Parker, is that, that was straight fire. Is the, uh, is the mixing board in there, has that combusted with that hotness? <laughs> it's smoking. It's on fire. Oh, I'm my freaking God. out. Our engineer is going to be so mad at us. We have to evacuate the boardroom. <laughs> that's fine. I'm going to go home and go back to bed. Congratulations. Uh, the mixing board is on fire. Everyone go back to sleep. Is that up for Grammy consideration? I think I think anything could be up for Grammy consideration if you submit it. I, I Maybe it'll be one of those ones where, you know how like the, the Grammys always have some like artistic darling right. that no one's ever heard of? Maybe that could be it. There's seven different songs on that album, by the way. Oh, there's more. Oh, yeah. That's just the lead single. There's uh, Texting and Driving, Fireworks Safety. The bike helmets one, which we just heard, changing the batteries in your uh, your fire, your uh, smoke detector. Wow. Yeah, there's some bangers on there. Do you think this was some musician's big break? Like, we got a gig. I got a gig. <laughs> I can't tell you too much. Is that considered a government-paying job? Maybe. You know what? I don't know. To, to, to be able to make music for a living, plus getting that government health insurance. Hey. So you're saying they're feds. Yeah, they are. Yeah. <laughs> That's a yeah. sweet gig, if you ask me. Yeah. You know what? I should have started rapping about safety instead of pursuing a radio <laughs> career. Color me color me embarrassed. It's first thing with Mike Parsons, Renee Vitale, and Parker putting out fires in the control room at WJR. <laughs> All right, so this is Sean Fain right now just waiting to go live at 10 a.m. TikTok, mother Of course, uh, by the way. Never get old. Guy Lloyd and Jamie join us in studio. And, uh, we Did you see his newest video? No. It's a great it's a great montage of various TikTok 
illusions in from movies. A little Pacino. Um, yeah, it's. Do you think? Do you think he's got a guy on that, or he's just got a smart? Yeah. He's got to have social media. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, and Renee and I were talking about this. I, I, we we don't know what way the strike is going to go, but at least from a showmanship perspective, I give it a ten out of ten. Oh yeah, he's nailed. You're it. buying in. Well, you know what's the uh, what's the term? Root for radio. I, at this point, I'm I, I'm just kind of enjoying the spectacle of it all. Okay. Um, but obviously, you know it's 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 not a laughing matter. There's a lot of. Uh, uh, there, there's a lot of lives and livelihoods at stake, and uh, I don't know if we uh, know what he's going to um, announce in his 10 a.m. video. I don't know if we have any hints. Um, this whole thing has been designed to keep people on their toes, keep people guessing. I mean, could it be possible that 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 maybe he pulls back on one of the automakers? I know that he has softened his stance on Ford. That'd be very uh, that'd be very unexpected. And then, you know, maybe he takes some of that pressure off one automaker and doubles down on another. I don't know. You'll find out in four hours, and you're yep. absolutely right. He could go easier on Ford and really slam the Stellantis. Or he could say, you know what, we're going to keep up the pressure on all three. And the other thing to watch for, does he go for assembly plants or does he go for parts plants? Parts plants would have a broader impact. They would. And uh, would, would, would apply a lot more hurt. And, yeah. and parts plants was kind of the theory before... But before, That's where I thought he was going. Right. I think he's, he's 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 turning up the heat slowly. But you're right. The thing that is, is very interesting. I think his his communication strategy is brilliant. I also think it's somewhat Trumpian. I mean, he's not afraid to exaggerate right. to the max. Right? He's hyperbole. not afraid to turn up. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's go, well, he's calling it a holy war, hyperbole off the charts. But he's also invoking scripture. Yep. He's made this a holy war. He's he, this is a righteous movement. They are part of. Well, and he's actually come out and called it a holy war, I think, in one of his videos. So, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's he's pounding that pulpit. My other question is, you know, 12 p.m. is the deadline. Um, more plants will be called to strike if there's not, quote, unquote, significant progress. What does significant progress mean? They haven't. If they don't have it by now, it doesn't matter. That's right. It's yeah. happening. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's going to take... I, w- I would bet a bump from twenty one percent to twenty seven percent might get him in the ballpark. Right, and 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 it's it's not you know you have till twelve p.m. to come up with a deal for us. You have twelve p.m. to come up with significant progress. So uh, ten a.m. I'm sure we'll all be dialed into. Oh yeah, you know whatever I, I'm guessing is going to be Facebook Live, and uh, and we'll see. We're all <laughs> we're all on the edge of our seats one way or another. <laughs> That's true. I don't know. So. Uh, it, how dependent is everyone in this room on on GPS? I used to be really good with maps, but uh, I feel like I probably still have that skill. But I definitely am uh, dependent on my GPS. Sometimes I'll even GPS if I know where I'm going to make sure I'm not going to, you know, run into a Get backup traffic. or something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, I'll GPS mostly. But you know, my dad always uh, taught us how to read atlases. He kept an atlas, seemed like in every room. And I don't know some people. That's you know, that's a very dad's thing. Really it's old school. It's really old room. school. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I mean, he he keep an atlas, and when we go out of town, and he would say, "Come on, let's go look at the atlas." <laughs> and we were looking, so I could read the atlas. You know, man, you it, know. So it, GPS, it's, it's Fine. I listen. It's easier, yeah. you know, but you don't have to. Pull I out think that it's one atlas. of those great lost skills that yeah. this generation is not going to know how to do a map, yeah. kind of like curses. or learn their own way around. That was the <laughs> yeah. biggest. When our kids graduated from driver's ed and they started going solo, that was our biggest worry: is that they were going to get lost. Yeah. yeah, right. Well, 
I'm going to add another worry here. I'm going to unlock a new fear. There's a North Carolina family. They're suing Google Maps after they claimed that the app led a man to drive off the edge of a collapsed bridge leading to his death. Uh, a guy named Philip Paxson who was driving home from his daughter's ninth birthday back in September of last year. Google Maps directed him onto an unmarked, unbarricaded bridge that was partially cl- uh uh, that partially collapsed back in 2013, and he drove off the edge of the bridge down the feet 20 uh, down in the water 20 feet below. Um, and the, the 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 family is suing Google's parent company Alphabet as well as two local companies who are responsible for maintaining the land and the bridge. And my first thought was like, okay, like if you're watching the road, it w- wasn't it blocked or something? Well, that's the thing. It was yes. un it was unbarricaded, right. and so if it's dark, maybe you don't see it until it's too late. Yeah. Is well, Google the, supposed to know everything? Uh, yeah. I, where's the culpability here? How yeah. about the road commission that should have had it blocked off? And right. that's my thought. My, you know, Google, I'm sure Google probably has somewhere in their 700 pages of terms uh, terms, and, 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 you know, the thing you click um, that they are not responsible for. I think, I think the, the people who should really be responsible are, are the folks who are supposed to be maintaining the land and at least putting up a barricade. The at road least. commission or someone. Yeah. Yes. So I, and I, I know Google's got deeper pockets, but I don't think they're quite as responsible as, as the uh, folks who are supposed to at least just put up a sign that says bridge out. But they have deeper pockets. Yes, right. exactly. You can't blindly just follow GPS. No. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, look, I don't want to victim blame, but... I, Google's got bigger problems. They've got an antitrust lawsuit against them that could cost them billions. Yeah, they're like, all right, sure. just settle out of court. We have we have yeah. bigger fish to fry. So, all right, JR Morning coming up just minutes away. We'll be uh, any updates between now and 9 o'clock on the strike. We'll have that for you and more. The first thing is First Thing with Mike Parsons on 760 WJR, where Michigan comes to talk. Mike Parsons with Renee Vitale. And uh, uh, if you want to uh, find our podcast, you can go look up First Thing WJR wherever you uh, get your wherever you get your shows. 17 authors led by John Grisham and Game of Thrones writer George R.R. Martin are suing ChatGPT for using their copyrighted works without their permission. Garrett DeVink, tech reporter for The Washington Post, discusses the lawsuit with Chris Renwick on JR Afternoon. This it feels like it's been brewing for a while. There, there have been lawsuits filed by, by authors previously, um, but now you're getting some more high-profile authors on board. What does this signify, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question because I think with these AI models, there's sort of two ways of looking at the world when it comes to them because, you know, they were trained on pretty much the entire Internet. So these companies went, they scraped up news articles, they scraped up Wikipedia, they scraped up social media comments that you and I have made over the years on Reddit, on YouTube. And these argue, these authors argue they also scraped up pirated versions of their books and they fed that all into their algorithm and out came ChatGPT. And so, you know, it's not just books, it's not just news articles, it's sort of everything on the internet, including, you know, stuff written by regular people who aren't professional writers. And so the tech companies are saying, look, all we did is we went and, you know, we read what's available on the open internet and we use it to train a totally new product. Whereas the people who created this content, you know, it's not just authors, it's also Hollywood writers, it's journalists in some cases, it's musicians, they're saying, hold up, I don't remember checking a box saying, 
just because I put something on the internet means that you can go and train a potentially very lucrative AI tool with it. And so that's really what this legal case is going to come down to and the other lawsuits as well. So the authors are asking for damages for the lost opportunity to license their works and for an injunction for OpenAI to stop using their work in 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 their mining of that data, like you mentioned. Um, does this put AI, if this lawsuit were, were to prevail, does this put AI a step back? Does that bring up the question of, is there just too much for it to know and there aren't enough regulations about it? Does, do those questions kind of come back up again? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult question to answer because I think, yes, if these companies were never allowed to do this in the first place, because they were never allowed to go and scrape the Internet to create these things, you know, we wouldn't have these tools. The, the, the very reason they work is because they've been fed on just so much data. They've, they've essentially read the entire Internet and that's how they sort of develop their understanding of the world and the ability to answer these questions that we feed them. However, now that the horse is sort of out of the barn, they've gone and created these things. Maybe now they're going to say, okay, okay, we're sorry. We will pay you, George R. R. Martin, to use some of your books. We will pay the Hollywood studios to use some of the scripts. But because they've already developed the core technology, you know, maybe they don't need all that stuff anymore. And so I think there is this open question that no one really has an answer to of, you know, if these authors do prevail and the law says, hey, tech companies can no longer just take copyrighted works and feed it into their system, you know, do they still even need to because they've kind of already gone and done it? Or are they going to have to un unwind all their work and try from scratch to make these things, you know, while paying for the data? So I guess here's what I don't understand about this, and maybe you could, you could uh, sh shed some clarity on it. Are people going on to open uh, AI and chat GPT and saying, well, give me the first book of the Game of Thrones series. And is it is it writing it all out just as it is in the book or is it paraphrasing? Is it an, is it an, an abridged version, if you will, or a Sparks Notes version? Um, or is it just utilizing the information that it knows? Because if it were me, uh, right, and I wrote a book and it became incredibly successful and people just went on and said, well, write, write the book verbatim, what it is. Um, and I wasn't getting compensated for it. I, I could understand that would make me pretty upset too. What is their main gripe here? Yeah, so it's, it's really difficult to get sort of a word-for-word -word copy out of these things, partly because, you know, the way they work is they sort of remix what they already know and spit it out slightly differently. But also the companies are quite clever and they build in guardrails to, at least for really popular works, make sure that their tools aren't, you know, exactly copying because they admit, you know, that would obviously be a problem for them if they were caught, you know, word for word spitting out copyrighted works. But I think what the authors are concerned about is that, you know, these tools were trained essentially how to become good writers by reading this really popular writing. And so even if it never fully copies word for word Game of Thrones, if OpenAI is able to, you know, use this tool to write a really good fantasy book that, you know, sort of has some of the same intrigue, the character development, you know, the, the weird plot surprises that George R. R. Martin has come up with, you know, do we, do we need him anymore, you know? And so there's this question of, you know, as a creator, you know, you put all this work into getting good at your craft, and then it was used to make this technology good at, you know, a similar craft. And is that going to start to replace us? And, you know, why didn't I get paid for that? Those, those are sort of where the anxiety is coming from, from these authors.
So uh, you've got comedian Sarah Silverman in another lawsuit. Um, other authors have joined this as well, actors too. How does then this influence the, for example, the strike between the Writers Guild of America uh, and and SAG-AFTRA, what we're seeing out in Hollywood? How do these things mesh? Because, you know, AI is is still a huge bone of contention in those negotiations, in those talks. How how do these kind of intertwine? Totally. I mean, I think if you start seeing judgments from court saying that what the AI companies have done is, you know, not allowed, that they should uh, compensate authors, I think that will really help the um, actors and the writers who are on strike because they want their their argument essentially is that you know their bosses, the production companies, companies like Netflix, Amazon Prime shouldn't use AI to write scripts. They should only use, use humans. And if they're going to use AI, they should make sure to run it past the humans to get compensation. <laughs> and what the companies want to do is they want to just be able to take everything that they already own, that, that humans have already written for them, feed it into an AI system, and then never have to use humans again. And right. you know the tech is not at that point yet, but it's feasible that in the, in the coming years, maybe it will get there. And so I think if the law comes down on the side of creators, of authors, of musicians, that will just give much more ammunition to people to say to their bosses, whether it's, you know, a Hollywood writer or, you know, anyone doing regular work, look, like I as a human provide this value and, and I don't want you to go use AI to replace me. And then that brings up the, the, the question that we've seen, and we don't need to get into a political talk, but, but you know, the president has hosted the, the heads of a lot of these AI companies um, and, and that, I think brings up the question then, should there be more regulations on this of what these platforms should be capable of or where are the guardrails? Where where can we we steer this in a proper direction? I, I, to me, that makes sense. If there are rules and regulations that are uniform, that they all have to follow in in the event of of, you know, avoiding situations like this. Yeah, I mean, and there's proposals to sort of, you know, find ways to kind of strengthen the copyright law so that AI companies can't use them. I mean, in some states, there's laws where, you know, for an athlete, for example, if a video game company wants to make like a basketball video game, they, they have to pay the athlete to use their likeness. And so some politicians are suggesting that we make sort of a federal right to, you know, your likeness and, and your your output. And so that would apply to professionals and maybe even apply to regular people so that, you know, if you, you're putting photos of yourself online, you're putting your comments into social media, that some company isn't able to just scrape that and, and use it in its, in, in its training data. But, you know, regulation here in the U.S. federally, maybe a little less so on the state level, depending on which state you live in, it's, it's a really difficult and onerous process. And there's been all sorts of attempts to regulate yeah. the big tech companies over the last five years, and most of those have fallen completely flat. And I think there probably is a bit more consensus from everyone, yeah. including the companies, that they need regulation for AI. No doubt. But, you know, it's still a big process to get it through Congress, so we'll have to see. I'm all for suing the robots. I do not like this AI thing at all. Can you sue a robot? I don't know. In, in 50 years, I might sound like some guy complaining about the Internet. But at this point, I do not like the idea of artificial intelligence. I don't either. Um, and uh, by the way, this Monday... Uh, U.S. will be offering free COVID tests again, which I thought, uh-oh, that might be a bad sign. But they stopped They they stopped back in June. 
which to me sounds like it's more strategic, like they wanted to save stockpile sure. um, for fall. So we'll see. But uh, I don't know. It kind of felt like when they stopped giving out free COVID tests, like, oh, that's a good sign. And now you can get them for free again.